0: in the preceding verses in Luke chapter 10 Jesus has uh, uh, authorized the 70 to go into the cities that he would follow them into and they were instructed to preach the the truth of the word, preach the kingdom of God specifically and um, in the cities that they were received he said heal the sick that are therein. The ones that wouldn't receive there was nothing they could do Unbelief hindered Jesus in his earthly ministry, and if it hindered him, it's sure going to hinder the apostles or the disciples at this point, and it'll hinder us. But they return unto Jesus in verse 17, Luke chapter 10, verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Now, he didn't say anything in his instructions. He didn't give them any instructions about casting out devils whatsoever whatsoever. But just as they were healing in the name of Jesus, they tried casting devils out in the name of Jesus, and it worked. So they said, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And Jesus answered and said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and on scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notice in verse 19, the word power is in there twice, but they're two different words. The first word power, behold I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions. That word means authority. It means delegated power or authority. But then when he describes the devil's power, behold I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions. And over all the power of the enemy. That word means ability. So he's saying we've got authority over all of Satan's ability. Thank God we do. He goes on in verse 20. He said, notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven now I want you to turn back with me to Luke chapter 9 and see something else about what Jesus said concerning power and this authority the use of this authority oh where is it it's in verse 49 Luke chapter 9 verse 49 and John answered and said master we saw one casting out devils in your name, and we forbade him. We told him, you can't do that because he followed not with us. John's telling, him, telling Jesus that there are other people, at least this individual, that's using the name of Jesus to break the devil's power that's not a part of their group. He's not part of the, the 12. He's not part of the 70. He's not part of any of the disciples or the multitude, the crowd that follows Jesus from place to place. And so John's, I guess, trying to be protective. we we got to keep things pure here. He's not with us, even though he's doing good. And Jesus said unto him, to John, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is with us. Now I've got a question for you, and I want to talk to you a little bit about our authority over Satan. Who are these evil spirits that Jesus cast out and delivered people from? Who are they well Jesus said in Luke chapter 10 and verse 18 I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven that's a reference to what we know of in Revelation chapter 12 where John sees the great dragon in the sky and he takes this dragon takes a third of the stars with him and wages war and the Bible says God cast him into the earth cast him back into the earth the star, the, the dragon, of course, is the devil, Satan. And the stars represent angels. And so we know from the scripture that Satan took a third of the angels and rebelled against God, waged war against God. And he was cast back down into the earth. He and the other, the other angels were cast down back into the earth. And so it's real easy for us to say, well, those spirits, those angels that rebelled with Satan against God, that must be who the evil spirits are. But I want you to look at a couple of scriptures. Notice in Second Peter chapter two, Second Peter chapter two, and Jude chapter one, Second Peter chapter two, verse four, it says, "For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them unto chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but rather but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly." Then he talks about destroying Sodom and Gomorrah and the power that he exercised in those situations. But notice verse 4. It says the angels that fell with Satan were delivered unto hell. Now Revelation, four, uh, Revelation 12, rather talking about this, says they were cast into the earth. But where is hell? Hell is at the center of the earth. And so when Peter is saying, he cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. It doesn't sound like they're free, does it? Anyway, we could interpret what Peter is saying to understand that they're roaming around the earth, just doing whatever they want to do for as long as the church age exists. It says they're reserved unto Chains. It says they're in hell. It doesn't say they're in the earth. It doesn't say they're operating in the earth or upon the earth. Notice with me in Jude chapter 1. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Jude 1 verse 6, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. He, speaking of God, has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day. So here's a a second Bible reference to the angels that fell with Satan. The angels, the third of the angels that rebelled against God with Lucifer. It tells us that they've been delivered into hell and that they're bound with everlasting chains. Well, if they're bound with everlasting chains, they can't get out and go somewhere else, can they? I mean, where the Bible says God has reserved them in these chains until the day of judgment... They can't be the ones that are operating with Satan. They can't be the evil spirits in the world that are trying to hurt and harm mankind. Well, we know that there are evil spirits in the world. So who are they? Turn back with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 begins the story of creation. Just want to talk about the first two verses today it says in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters notice that it says the earth when God came back to the earth to recreate it to make a place, a habitation for man, humankind notice it says that God found it in a state of disrepair he found it without form and void Now, the words form and void most simply mean an empty wasteland. He saw the earth in what we would what well what the Hebrew word identifies as chaos. That means without form, it means there were no physical laws operating on the earth. There was no law of gravity, there was no law of physics in any other way upon the earth. It was without form and void, it was an empty wasteland. And that's the, the canvas that God began to recreate the earth upon by making the light and dividing the light from the dark and the stars and the sky and all the other things that it says. But now I want you to look with me to Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45 tells us something that we should know in, uh, instinctively about God, but it points it out to us so that we can be sure. Isaiah 45, verse 18, it says, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens... God himself that formed the earth and made it. I want you to notice he's talking about two things. He formed the earth and he made it. See, folks, when God originally created the earth, he created it from nothing. There was no earth that was without form and void for him to start with. He created the earth out of nothing. But then when we see this Genesis account of creation, that's where he's forming the earth. He's taking the raw materials that he had created before and making it a habitable place, making it a habitation for man. So for thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it. Notice this is God speaking for himself. The next phrase, he created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. So it's telling us, it uses the same word, the word vain here in verse 18 of Isaiah 45 is the same word formed in Genesis 1-2. It's saying very specifically. Specifically. God's saying specifically. I didn't create it a wasteland. I didn't create it empty. Well, if God didn't, and I'm willing to take his word for it. How about you? If God didn't create the earth, As an empty wasteland. How did it get that way in Genesis 1-2? God said he didn't make it that way. So something had to happen. Something had to take place. Over some period of time. And your guess is as good as mine. On what kind of time there is. But something had to take place. Between the time that God first created the earth. And Genesis 1-2. Where it becomes without form and void. Something over some period of time. Took place. That made that to happen. Well let's see if we can identify from the Bible what happened. I want you to look with me to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. We'll start in verse 12. Here's God speaking of the devil. And to him literally. How art thou fallen from heaven. O Lucifer son of the morning. How art thou cut down to the ground. Which did weaken the nations. Well okay so far we can see that that's what he's doing in our world too, right? I mean, that's just, that's kind of his job description. Nothing out of the ordinary. Verse 13, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high Now notice there are five things that Satan said, Lucifer said, that he will do. Five things. Let's notice them a little bit more carefully here. First, I will ascend into heaven, so that must mean he's below heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. That must mean he has a throne below the stars. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Apparently, that's not something he had access to. That was reserved for the most high God. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, which means he's below the clouds. I will be like the most high. Apparently, that's a reference to all powerful, able to do anything. He wills to be God's equal. Now, that must be a big thing for him. Let me take a little side journey here for just a moment. You remember when Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil in the Garden of Eden? He showed the fruit of the tree to Eve. He said, has God said, you shall not eat of the tree? Eve responded and said, God told us we should not eat of the tree, for in the day we eat thereof we shall surely die. You remember what Satan said? He said, you shall not surely die. What God told you wasn't true. You shall not surely die. God knows that if you eat this, you will be like him. Well, that's what motivated Satan, Lucifer. That was his motivation. So he's trying to make that the motivation of of, uh, Adam and Eve too. Now, we don't know specifically. The Bible doesn't tell us specifically about it. But something along the lines of what he's talking about was enough to convince her, to break God's commandment so let's read them again here's Satan's plan here's his daytimer list for when he took a third of the angels I will ascend into heaven I will exalt my throne above the stars of God I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north I will ascend above the heights of the clouds I will be like the most high and God says yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? Notice it's telling us that Satan is operating here on the earth. And if he's got a throne on the earth, he's operating with some kind of authority. Now, this is before he was cast out, apparently. We don't know that for certain But it seems logical So Satan is saying Lucifer is saying I don't want to be God's understudy I don't want to be just somebody That God has given authority He's got a throne He has to have authority of some type And there seems to be something That's taking place there There seems to be something A civilization Or daily activities that are taking place there that Satan winds up destroying and making the world a wilderness now folks these are the only two places in the Bible you can find where the earth was without form and void God said I didn't create it that way and the Bible says he made it a wilderness only place not a lot that we can choose from it's not like we can go find 20 scriptures and develop a doctrine from that this is what we've got But judging from what we've got, the only thing that fits is that Satan was a ruler here on the earth. And when he rebelled against God and God slapped him down, the civilization, the, what word do you use, the existence of whatever was here on the earth was under his control. Now turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 28. Here's another place where the Bible tells us about Satan. Gives us some insight into how things were. First part of the chapter is talking about the king of Tyrus. Or, or, I'm sorry, talking about the prince of Tyrus. Uh, let me back up and see a, a couple of things here. Beginning in verse 1, the word of the Lord came again unto me saying, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus, thus saith the Lord God, because your heart is lifted up and thou hast said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God in the midst of the seas. Yet thou art a man and not God. Though thou set thine heart as the heart of God. So whoever this is talking about. This prince of Tyrus. We know he's a human being. Well if it's a human being. That means that this has to be referred to. This is spoken of. After the creation of Adam and Eve. After God did the work of creation. As identified in Genesis chapter 1. And put his man Adam in the middle of it. To have authority on the earth. So now we see. In one of these ancient kingdoms, earthly kingdoms, this man called the king of, Tyre, or called the Prince of Tyrus, in the scripture. God is, pro- is promising, prophesying something upon him. Let's look in verse four. He said, "With thy wisdom and with thine understanding, thou hast gotten thee riches and hast gotten gold and silver into thy treasures. By thy great wisdom and by thy traffic, this word traffic means merchandising." It's talking about an economy. Well, we know there's always been an economy on the earth since Adam and Eve began multiplying and being fruitful and so forth. We know that an economy developed. Different ones at different times, depending on who was ruling was the major world power at the time. But it says, by thy great wisdom and by thy traffic, thou hast increased thy riches. And because thy heart is lifted up because of thy riches... Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because you have set your heart as the heart of God, behold, therefore, I will bring strangers upon thee in terror, uh, the terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of thy wisdom, and they shall defile thy brightness. He's saying it's not going to go well for you. But I want you to see one of the things that he was lifted up about is the success of his economy, the buying and selling, the trafficking of goods, merchandising. Now skip down with me a little bit into the chapter Verse 11, moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. Now, which is higher in rank, a king or a prince? Princes are usually the king's son. So this is saying that the king of Tyrus, or I'm sorry, the the one identified, the human being identified as the prince of Tyrus is under the influence, or we might say under the control to some degree by this king of Tyrus. He's the ultimate ruler. The prince of Tyrus is on the throne. But there's an unseen force that we know of as the devil that's influencing him. Verse 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Well, that couldn't be any human being at this time, could it? Or at the time that this was spoken. The Garden of Eden events took place hundreds of years before this is spoken. So there's no human being that we would know of that would be the king of Tyrus that could have been in Eden. It's not like Adam became the king of Tyrus. So he's saying there was an unseen presence, an eternal unseen presence that was present in the Garden of Eden thou hast been in Eden the Garden of God every precious stone was your covering the sardius, topaz and the diamond the beryl, the onyx and the jasper the sapphire and the emerald and the carbuncle and gold the workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created this has reference to his voice it could be that Lucifer was the one that led worship in heaven so to speak I, I'm sure that's not what we would picture when we make that, that uh, statement. But it does seem to indicate that he had something special in the way that he was created in that manner. That's why every pastor ought to be very careful about the worship leaders. Verse 14. No, it's good to have good ones, isn't it? Verse 14, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth And I have set thee so. God's saying that he made him the most beautiful. He made him with the greatest authority. He was God's right hand man. Exercising authority on the earth. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Folks that's some pretty lofty territory there. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Now notice verse 15, thou wast perfect in in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity, iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Now I want you to get this, folks. I want you to understand this cannot be talking about humankind. This cannot be talking about Satan having a place of authority once Adam and Eve were created. This has got to be before Adam and Eve were made. And you remember in Psalm 8, where the angels, God said, Let us make man in our own image and let them have dominion over all the works of our hands, over all the earth, in other words. And the angels said, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? You've made him a little lower than God himself and crowned him with glory and honor. When God says in Genesis 126, Let us make man in our own image, These angels are floored. They're incredulous. What is man? And you're going to give him authority? Because at that point in time, by that point in time, God had given somebody else authority. That hadn't worked out very well, as evidenced by Genesis 1 2. The earth became a wasteland, an empty wasteland. Notice it's empty. So here we've got Satan. And a part of the reason that he's lifted up is because of the success of the economy that's taking place on the earth, some way, somehow, and I don't have all the answers for it. But there's an economy, there's a civilization, there's an existence, not man, not humankind, but there's got to be something. Someone has to be buying and selling, trading goods, merchandising. For this to be true. By the multitude of thy merchandise. They have filled the midst of thee with violence. And thou hast sinned. Now here's God's answer to what we just read. In Isaiah chapter 14. You Remember the five I wills of Satan. Here's God's five I wills. I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. And I will destroy thee. O covering cherub. From the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Here's merchandising again, buying and selling. Folks, God's all about economies. Thank you for your enthusiastic response. By the iniquity of thy traffic, therefore, will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring these to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. And all they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. In other words, there's coming a point in time when God is going to deal with the devil once and for all. And we're going to look upon him and we're going to say, this is the guy that caused all the trouble. He's not who he tells you he is. He doesn't appear the way he tells you he does. He doesn't have the strength that he tells you he does. He doesn't have the authority that he tells you he does. So in Jesus, in Luke chapter 10, if we go back to where we started, when Jesus says in Luke chapter 10... I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. He's talking about when Satan rebelled against God and was cast into the earth. And then when he says, Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. He's telling us that Satan is way, 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 way below the authority that we have. You remember all the times that the Bible says, like, for example, in Ephesians chapter 1, where it tells us that God has raised Jesus from the dead and set him as his own right hand in heavenly places, far above, far above principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Those are evil spirits. Can't be the angels. They're reserved in chains under darkness until the judgment. Can't be the angels. Well, then who are they? Who is it we have authority over? Well, let's see if, we, if the Bible can answer the question for us. My idea might not be any better than yours. So let's take a look at some things. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to read this account in both Matthew and Mark. Matthew's chapter 8 and um, is the same as Mark chapter 5. So if you want to get a head start on that, you can. And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs exceeding fierce so that no man might pass by that way. They're ambushing whoever comes by that place. Everybody knows it. Everybody stays away. But Jesus went by, and behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come to hither to torment us before the time? Notice the evil spirits, whoever they are. And I'll tell you who they are in a minute. But whoever they are, they know their time's running out. The clock is ticking and that is first and foremost, first time they've ever confronted the son of God here on the earth in human form. First time ever. And they're afraid that he will exercise his authority upon them in such a way that's other than what God has said. I like that. I like to think on, I like to meditate on the fact that the devil knows he's in trouble Evil spirits try to strong arm us and force us to do things that are not within their power to make happen. And all the time, they know their time's coming. And there was a good way off from them, a herd of many swine feeding. So that the devils besought him, saying, if thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of the swine. And he said unto them, Go, and when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. And they that kept them fled and went their ways into the city. By the way, it was uh, illegal against the law of Moses to uh, farm pigs in that part of the country. And they that kept them fled and went their ways into the city and told everything and what was befallen to the possessed of devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they besought him that they would depart out of their coast. He just got rid of one of the the most threatening things in their country, and they said, can you leave us? Now look with me to Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1, same story, a little bit different details, and they came over into the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes, and when he was come out of the ship immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit Matthew says there was two Mark says it just refers to one it, does that mean there's a contradiction in the Bible I don't think so there's one that seems to be leading the two and so Mark just simply points out and speaks to the one that's in charge Matthew doesn't make that distinction And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no not with chains. Notice this is going to give us details about his supernatural strength. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, that means just broken casually like you would tear paper, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Folks, the devil will make you crazy. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Now, folks, this is an astonishing thing, and it's easy to miss it if we don't point it out. This evil spirit... In the madman of Gadarene. Is adjuring Jesus by God. Not to torment him before the time. In other words the devils know that the word of God is so true. So real. So detailed factually. That he knows. If Jesus is the son of God. If Jesus is sent from God. That he's bound by the word of God. Oh if God's children could just figure that out. For he said unto him, verse 8, Come out of the man thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, Jesus asked the man, What is thy name? Now he's talking to the evil spirit inside of him. And he asked him, What is thy name? And the evil spirit answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now I don't know how many he is. But there's a lot of demonic activity taking place in this guy's life. And there's one in charge, one evil spirit in charge called Legion. But we don't know how many others there are. But keep that in mind. You're going to see something interesting here. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Isn't that an interesting thing? Why would the devil be concerned about geography? See, if the devil's all powerful, and if evil spirits run and control things against the will of mankind the way that the devil wants to tell us that he does, and does tell us that he does, then why are these guys worried about staying in the same place? Do they just like the neighborhood? What is it about that place that has their attention? And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh or near under the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils, please notice that, all the devils besought him. Now they're all speaking up. What did that sound like? How did that work? I have no idea. Does Jesus hear whatever they're saying in the spirit? Or is each one of them taking turns controlling the man's mouth and voice? I don't know. I just know the Bible's true. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000 pigs, apparently. And they were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. Notice verse 15. And they came to Jesus... And saw him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion. Do you see how that's re- identified? That's very specific terminology. That's very specific wording. He was possessed with the devil and had the legion. Clearly is talking about one being in charge. And they came to see Jesus and saw him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. See, when God's in control, people sit and are peaceful. And for goodness sake, they put on clothes. You know where some of the fashion for our, the younger generation comes from, don't you? When they saw him sitting and clothed and in his right mind, they were afraid. And they that saw it told him how it befell him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. Now let me talk to you a little bit about the swine. It's a part of both stories, uh, Matthew chapter 8 and Mark chapter 5. And the reason why it's in both stories, twofold, two points we need to make. And that is these evil spirits, not the angels that fell, but these evil spirits seek embodiment in physical form. Without a physical form to operate through, evil spirits have no way to influence or communicate. They have no way to perform evil on the earth if they do not have a physical form. Now notice the difference between the madman of Gadara and the swine. The madman of Gadara is possessed by the devil and has the legion. Again, it's many. That's the only number we've got. What's Many. 5, 10, 20, 50, I don't know. But I do know this, as overtaken as this madman from Gadara is by the devil, his will is still in place to such a degree that as soon as the evil spirits entered the swine, it destroyed the whole herd. Well, why didn't they destroy the man? Why hadn't the man run down the steep place into the sea long before this point? Because man has authority. Even in the worst possible conditions, and I can't think of anything to be worse than this. Man's authority, man's choice, man's will, rules. Can you see that? All right, now let's ask a couple of questions. Why do they want to stay in that part of the country? We know that they seek embodiment. Jesus said in Matthew's uh, gospel, um, where is it? Chapter, well, I don't know where it is. It's in Matthew. Matthew related that jesus said when the evil spirit has gone out of a man he walks through dry places seeking rest and finding none he goes back to the house that he came out of the body the form that he came out of and he finds the house swept clean empty but not filled with the right things and so he takes others with him and enters in and the last state of that man is worse than the first Why do evil spirits that depart out of people? And and Jesus didn't say anything about how the evil spirits were gone out of it. He didn't identify anything except how the, uh, the devil or evil spirits operate once they're dislodged. But he wants to return. These evil spirits want to return to some physical form that they used to be in. Some form that they can influence. So we see that they seek embodiment and we see that they're geographically identified. Why would that be? Why would that be? Now there's a lot of teaching a lot of things that people say about the devil's kingdom and the organizational operation of the devil's kingdom. I don't believe the devil's an organizer. He's certainly a community organizer. But I don't believe he's got everything down as far as keeping things under control. What incentive would there be for an evil spirit to obey what Satan says? What's he going to do? What reason would there be for evil spirits to obey anything that Satan wants? But rather we've got pretty clear evidence from the Bible that things that the devil is in charge of, he destroys. Well, if he's, trying to operate his kingdom to have a negative influence upon mankind to bring about destruction. How's he going to bring that out? How's he going to facilitate that? How's that going to work? Folks, the only ones that we can identify with any degree of certainty at all, and I don't know how high you think the level of security, uh, certainty is, but since it, the evil spirits can't be, the angels that fell, they have to be whatever was part of this prior civilization before Genesis 1-2 takes place. What other choice is there? We know of anybody else on the earth that ever was on the earth? No, we don't. No, we don't. Now, the ones that were on the earth, and, and whatever they were, they weren't man. The Bible's real clear on that. But whatever they were might be something that would fit some of the discoveries, the archaeological and, and, uh, um, well, the ancient studies or discoveries, diggings, and so forth, that people try to build a case for evolution out of. That's possible. I'm not saying it's likely. I'm not saying it's true for sure. I don't know. But it is possible. See, one of the things about the earth that God created ever since the fall The earth has been governed by what's called the law of entropy. Anybody know what that is? Entropy means that things degrade over time. Well, evolution is all about improving over time. But a law of physics, a physical law that nobody argues with, it's easily proven, is that everything on this earth, everything on this planet degrades through the passage of time. Well, that in itself, if there were no other arguments or any facts or anything to use, that in itself has to disprove evolution. Because evolution says man developed from earlier, lesser forms, and that contradicts the law of entropy, which we know is there. We know it works. It's at work in our body. Paul talked about the inward man. The outward man perisheth. he's decaying. But the inward man is renewed day by day by the word. Are you with me? All right, let me take another couple of minutes before we finish. Look with me to. Oh, what do I want to go to? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter one. Paul's praying for the church. Beginning in verse 16, he said, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places, far above? Everybody say far above. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion, not only in the world but in this world also is to come. Now I want you to notice something, folks. The Bible talks about Jesus being raised. And seated at the right hand of God the Father, far above all principality, all powers, all might, and all dominion. So we know that these are all categories or or classifications of Satan's kingdom. So there has to be some structure. There has to be some structure to it. But again, these evil spirits are created beings, they're disembodied spirits. And not the angels that fell with Satan. So it says that God, Paul says, the Holy Ghost has inspired him to pray for us that our eyes would be open to see who we are in Christ. To see the power of God that's raised him from the dead. To know what his plan and his purpose is for us. Verse 22, and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Chapter 2. Terrible chapter break here. This should be right along with chapter one. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. In other words, he's saying the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead raised you from the dead when you make Jesus Lord of your life. The same seating at the right hand of God is where he puts you. Verse one says, and you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Notice verse 6 and it says, And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Folks, I want you to understand that the devil is far, far, far below you. The devil is so far below the, the, even the weakest Christian If, there, if there's a way to identify who the Christian in the world is that has the least bit of spiritual development and the least bit of success over the devil, that least in the kingdom of God is still far, far above anything and everything the devil can do. Turn with me over to Philippians chapter 1. I'm sorry, it's Philippians chapter 2. Verse 7 says, speaking of Jesus, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. That means he laid aside his heavenly power and glory. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. There's the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus is great and powerful because jesus conquered the devil now on the earth jesus had authority and anybody that that used the name of jesus to accomplish any part of what god sent jesus to do here on the earth that name worked for them over the authority and the power of the devil that's what uh luke chapter 9 is telling us about john John said, we found somebody that's casting out devils in your name, but he's not part of our group, so we told him don't do it. Well, how could it work if the name of Jesus is not available for anybody and everybody? See, we look at places where Jesus delegated authority to the disciples, the 12 first, and then the 70. We look at those things and think, well, if Jesus would just delegate authority to us. But John tells us, well, really, Matthew tells us, I'm sorry, Mark tells us concerning John that John didn't think it would work for anybody except their group but it works for anybody that uses the name of Jesus to do the works of God if that was true when Jesus was here on the earth how much more true does that have to be for us first thing Jesus said when he appeared to his disciples is, all power was given unto me in heaven and earth that must be different than what it was before If that's what it was and the way it worked before, Jesus would have just shown up and said, I'm back. But he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. You remember in Revelation chapter 1, Jesus appears unto John. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is dead and made alive and liveth forevermore. You remember the next thing he said? He said, and I have the keys of hell and death. Why tell John that? If it was something that Jesus had, if it was something that had been revealed to the disciples that Jesus possessed on the earth, why tell him that? But he didn't have that. He didn't have that. Colossians chapter 2 proves that out. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 It says, and having spoiled principalities and powers, that means he defeated them. Now, that doesn't mean Jesus was in hand-to-hand combat with the devil. I think sometimes we get the idea and, and, well, I've read it in certain books. But I think sometimes we get the idea that Jesus was in hell. And all the forces of the devil were swarming him. And in a moment of time, he threw them off of himself and was raised from the dead. Folks, hell is not the devil's headquarters. I've heard people try to cast out devils and say, "I rebuke you and send you back to hell where you came from." Demons, spirits don't come from hell. It's not their home. It will be. But the devil, nor do evil spirits, go back and forth between the earth and hell. Hell is a place of torment. Hell is a place of destruction. And that's what the evil spirit in the the legion in the madman of Gadara is talking about. Have you come to to destroy us before the time? They know that hell is a place of destruction. They know that hell and death will be cast into the lake of fire and them along with it. And that's the ultimate judgment, ultimate destruction of the devil's kingdom. You remember in the story of... uh, The rich man and Lazarus talks about both of them dying. Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. The rich man went to hell. And it tells us that the rich man lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off. And Lazarus in his bosom. And so he carries on a conversation with Abraham. Now you know the story how that he asked for Lazarus to come dip to tip tip of his finger in water and cooled his tongue for he was tormented in this flame Abraham said that's not how it works and then he says something interesting he says even if we wanted that to happen even if uh, it would be a good thing for that to happen he said nobody can pass from you to us and nobody can come from us to you that means anything and anybody that's in hell is stuck there so how could the devil go he's a spirit being too He's a spirit being with less authority than humans. Because God gave the authority of the earth over into mankind's hand. Didn't handle it very well. Granted. But the devil didn't have any authority. That's why he had to take upon himself the form of a serpent. He had to steal his way into the process. Because he has absolutely no power without some kind of embodiment, physical embodiment. Since that's true, it has to be true because of what the Bible says. Tell me this, how much power does he have in your life and in mine? None unless he can use your body to do his work. None whatsoever. Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing Nothing, no thing will hurt you. Thank God for the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you for the authority that we have in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for elevating us through the new birth by making us righteous You've elevated us to be seated in, at your right hand along with Jesus. You've made us join heirs with the Son of God. Thank you Lord Jesus that you have authorized us. You've given us authority over all the power of the enemy. We thank you Lord for leaving us here on this earth to do your will to perform the same works that you did when you were here. We thank you for the exceeding greatness of the power that's in the name of Jesus. And we declare that power is ours. We love you, Father. We thank you for being so good to us. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being here with us. Hope you have a great rest of the week.